Good morning. morning. Trusting everybody's had a good morning this morning while the computer finds that. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and compassion over us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are here amongst us in this place. Your presence is here, Lord, residing in our hearts. We thank you for the Spirit of God that speaks to us and gives us insight and gives us a sense of of your identity, helps us to understand, Lord, the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we minister today, may you just reveal those thoughts to us. May you open our, our hearts, our mind, our ears, and cause us, Lord, to just to see a deeper and more compassionate and loving side to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this has been an interesting series going through these characters. I've um, enjoyed each one of them. Today, we're looking at a character in the New Testament whose name is Barnabas. And Barnabas has been given the nickname Son of Encouragement. Just in way of historical context, just a quick snapshot of the setting of the life of Barnabas. He was born Joseph. He was an early Christian and he was one of the prominent disciples in the church in Jerusalem. According to Acts 4 and verse 36, Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. Named an apostle, we find in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, he and Paul, the apostle, undertook missionary journeys together and defended the Gentile converts against Judaizers, those who would call them back into the Jewish requirements. They traveled together making more converts and participated in a special council, we'll talk about it a little later on, called the Council of Jerusalem, which was very significant to the time and also to us this morning. Barnabas and Paul successfully evangelized among God-fearing Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And so, that is a, a very quick snapshot of Barnabas. And if I were to stop there, you'd say, hmm, that's interesting. Um, although I haven't really learned a lot about what I can take away from Barnabas' life. And so, what do we know about Barnabas? Well, let's look to the Scriptures to find out. But more importantly, let's learn from what Barnabas experienced that will help us with our life, that will help us with our walk and draw us closer to Him. Let's examine the Scriptures. And so, we'll start looking at Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 and 37. The Scriptures on the screen there, if you'd rather read from there, if you want to use your your personal handheld device or your old-fashioned Bible, then you can do that too. Um... But here we have Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field and brought the money to the apostles' feet. Note, his name is changed from Joseph to Barnabas. 
And when we meet him, his name's already been changed to son of encouragement. So there's something about the character of Barnabas that really brings to life the idea of being encouraged or an encourager to the point that his nickname is given son of encouragement. Or we might say son of comfort. The meaning of the word encouragement is actually a noun. Encouragement is a noun, but it implies a verb. I'll explain that. Encouragement might be described as the action of giving someone support. Confidence and hope. You might say, thank you for all the support and encouragement that you've given to me. And generally speaking, those who require encouragement are people that are going through a struggle, some form of a trial. You wouldn't say, how are you doing? Great. Let me encourage you. You'd say, I'm feeling pretty good, you know. But how are you doing? Mm, Not so good. Oh, tell me about it. How can I encourage you? Or we might say, encouragement is giving someone courage. Courage to overcome. Or courage to continue the fight, struggle. Courage to keep going. And the reassurance to say, you know what, I'm with you. I'm with you through this trial, and I'm here to give you my courage, where you lack. And so, encouragement is a transfer of our courage to somebody else. We're going to learn from Barnabas's example that, in fact, it takes courage to give courage. We'll talk about that more later. We hear also in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, we read this. But Barnabas took and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. When Saul, who became Paul, came to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples. As we know, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was one who, in his own mind, and his own mission, thought it was appropriate to try to eliminate the Christian faith because it challenged the temple in which his faith was founded. And so, Paul was actually a persecutor of the church. And so when he comes from Damascus to to Jerusalem, the disciples were afraid of him, terrified of him. And for good reason. He was not rumored to be responsible for the captivity and the beatings and the death of Christians. 
He didn't even attempt to hide it because he knew it was true. It was absolute truth. All that was true. The things that were said of Paul. And yes, the disciples had every reason in the world not to trust him. And yes, Paul slash Saul could be attempting a trick to lure the apostles into a trust and ultimately eliminate the apostles. And so they were weary of him. And yes, we don't trust you. And yes, you have a terrible reputation. And yes, why should we invite you to join us? Yes, yes, yes to all those things. And so when the apostles were asked, can Paul join you? The answer was no, no, no. And for good reason. In Acts 27, we see this, but Barnabas. And but is often the signature of an encourager. It's the one who sees something differently. Of the apostles, they are all in total agreement. We will not have Saul with us. No way. Barnabas. But there's something maybe we're missing here. And so he took him to the apostles. And you think, why on earth did Barnabas bring Saul to the apostles? And what did Barnabas possibly see in Saul that the, all the other apostles missed or were incapable of seeing that? What Barnabas saw or may have seen, was what Jesus said in Acts 9 and 15, which is this. Jesus said, Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show, and the italics is my words, they won't have that in your Bible, how much you must suffer for my name's sake. Barnabas felt it was important to develop a relationship with Saul in order to understand who Saul was and not just look at him on the surface or listen to the reports, but develop a relationship with this guy and who is Saul and what is he about. Note, Barnabas was willing to make a relationship investment in someone who was very unpopular. And so, Barnabas teaches us, if we want to know somebody, truly know somebody, we must make an investment, an investment of relationship, of getting to know somebody, of trusting that person, of possibly putting aside Things that may not be appealing to us, but actually regarding that person with the respect that they deserve. We see in verse 15 as well, Saul would not suffer because of all the personal havoc that he caused, wasn't that, or because of his zealous nature. No, Saul would suffer 
for the namesake of Jesus Christ, for the testimony and the privilege of witnessing for his name. And so he would suffer for that reason. We read of those Christians in this country, Eritrea, Eritrea. Some of us may have never heard of Eritrea before. You know, nestled between Saudi Arabia and Sudan and South Sudan and in this little place and Christians that live there. But they're suffering for the namesake of Jesus Christ, for the, for the privilege of witnessing to his name. And so we find that happening today. Consider for a moment the significance of Barnabas' observations regarding Saul. And we all know that Saul, Paul, was ultimately accepted by the, the apostles. Partly because of the insistence of Barnabas. Paul was a genuine, born-again Christian, who, by the way, was fearless in his witness and his testimony of the gospel. Yes, Saul is very unconventional. No question about that. And yes, he's got a very poor background and a terrible reputation. And yes, he might be considered an impossible convert. Who could convert Saul? Yes, yes, yes. And yes, to the glory of God. Because glory, God saw something in Saul that others had missed. It is unimaginable to consider the New Testament, the Bible that we hold. It's unimaginable to consider what the New Testament would look like if the writings of Paul were not included. Because he was initially rejected by the apostles, except one. It's like going into the promised land and what, what would have happened if the spies came back and Caleb and, Jesh and Joshua weren't there? They would have said, there's giants there. We're not going anywhere near that place. No way. Huh? But, but, Caleb and Joshua saw something different in the land. And so Barnabas saw something different in Saul. Let's look at what encouragement means from the Bible's perspective. Although it's not a direct definition, the Bible gives us some key insight of what encouragement is. Let's look at Acts chapter 11, verse 23. It says, When Barnabas arrived at Antioch, he saw the evidence of grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord was in their hearts. Barnabas saw the evidence of the grace of God in people who are marginalized, who are on the outside. And Saul was certainly on the outside of the church. Those who could have easily been dismissed or disregarded. Left out completely. But Barnabas saw something different in him. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. Take a moment to consider what is in, is involved 
and seen the evidence of the grace of God. Particularly in people who are marginalized. In people who are not included. In people who are generally excluded. It's much easier to encourage and take notice of those people we like and feel comfortable with. It's easy to encourage our friends, our family, because we like them. We like being around them. We like to encourage them. But what about people who are marginalized, who are on the outside? What about those people? They're not part of the cool kids club. They are never part of that club. In fact, the cool kids don't even know who they are. That's their life. That's where they come from. In a nutshell, it's like this. It's choosing. It's choosing to either show love to others or choosing to pass judgment upon somebody else. That's what it is. But it comes down to our choice. We'll come back to that. We hear about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 as well. Verse 25 and 26. It said, Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They, Paul and Barnabas, a team, stayed in Antioch for a whole year teaching and preaching and encouraging people. But Barnabas initially took the initiative to recognize that the Greeks needed teaching. And he knew exactly the person he'd call. I'm going to go get Saul. Now, he's a little rough on the edges, so don't, don't mind that. But he's perfect for the job. And he is so enthusiastic about coming here and teaching you. Barnabas didn't put his hand up and say, I'll teach you. I don't really need anybody else. No. His thought was, I want to encourage somebody else. I want to show encouragement, but I'm going to put it in action by partnering with Paul. By working alongside him. And also by respecting Paul's gifts. And calling Paul to come and teach the Greeks. And so the two of them did and spent the whole year encouraging those people there. We mentioned in the intro um, that Barnabas participated in the council in Jerusalem. This council, which dealt with the admission of Gentiles into the Christian community, there was one time the Jews thought, should the Christians even be admitted? Are they even Christians in the first place? How, how is this possible? And so the church in Jerusalem had this meeting that was named later the Council of Jerusalem. And the topic, the agenda topic, was the admissions of Gentiles into the church. Are they Christians? 
It was a crucial problem of the day. There was, there was Christians springing up in all over the place of Gentile faith. And Paul and Barnabas proposed that Gentiles be allowed into the community without being circumcised, without falling into the Jewish traditions and, and apart from the requirements of the Jewish law. And so Paul and Barnabas left the legacy that we are a part of today. We're part of the church because of the fact that the Council of Jerusalem admitted Gentiles into it. If they had not been there, there may have been a different outcome at that point. And the church would have looked much different today. The church would not be a church that functions under by grace alone. It would be a church that would function under by law and by grace. And we would be admitted into the Jewish faith as Christians. It would look so different. But the fact that Paul and Barnabas went to this, this council and he pleaded on our behalf that we should be received because of our testimony and because of the fact that Gentiles can become Christian just like anybody else. What is the ultimate significance? The Gentile believers were accepted and verified and included as Christians. There is, this is in no small part the result of Barnabas and what he did on that particular day with Paul's help. Through all this, there's a life principle that's emerging. And there is an underlying theme that emerges with the life of Barnabas. And it's this. God is very busy using unlikely and marginalized people to accomplish his work. And unless we are willing to discount the obvious biases and allow the evidence of the grace of God to be seen, the opportunity to become involved and used by God will be missed. It's easy to discount someone because they're different. But if we look at through it through the lens looking for the evidence of the grace of God, we may see in those people what God sees. And we may be given opportunity to become involved and used by God, particularly with people like Saul or like the Gentiles of the day who were certainly marginalized. So it begs the question for us today, who are marginalized people in our life? Who are people that are, are, are on the outside? Who are people that, that get discounted, that get left behind, that are not included, that are overlooked? Who are those people in our lives today? Who are the unlikely converts that maybe God's calling us towards? Who are the impossible converts? There may be people in our life we'd say, nothing's impossible with God, but if you ask my personal opinion, I don't see the possibility. That person is so, so, so far from the Lord, there's no way, no way. But if we dare to be a Barnabas, 
or bear to be like Barnabas. Those are people who God will draw us towards. Unbeknownst to us, we'll be drawn towards people that we least expect. God, people that God is already drawing. People that need others like ourselves to come alongside and encourage. To be taken out of the marginalized space and to be brought into inclusion. To not be left outside, but to be welcomed inside. And so, Jesus reminds us this. It's very simple. In John chapter 15, verse 17, he says this, This is my commandment that you love one another. It is so simple. This is my commandment that you love one another. Not people you like, or the cool kids club, or anything like that. One another. To show love. And so, we come back to that choice. When we're confronted by, what do we do? Do we show love towards other people? Or does our mind go to passing judgment? This is the simple way to go. This is my commandment that you love one another. Jesus shows us how to love. And this is one of my, my favorite portions in the Bible. It's from Acts chapter, or Matthew chapter 14. And on this particular day, Jesus had been preaching to the crowds. He'd spent the whole day with the crowds. And it says that he'd gone away to a remote place to be by himself, to be alone. And you know how it is. If you had a busy day and you want to come home, put your feet up maybe, you know, relax a bit. But as soon as you get home, a crowd arrives and they want your attention. They want something. You think, ah, you know, I just wanted to relax. But what we see here, when Jesus saw the the crowd, the large crowd, he felt profound compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. That was his immediate response feeling compassion for those people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so his immediate response was to love them and in a way he put love in action by showing compassion for them. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful the way he did things and the way he shows us how simple it is just to follow his way. Let's stop to consider... What does it require for us to allow the evidence of the grace of God to be seen? Is it, in part, being naive? Is it being irresponsible? Is it being firmly fitted with these rose-colored glasses so we just see, you know, everything is great, there's no such thing in the world that is 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 challenging or struggling? Is it being unwise? Let's again consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 
He said this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as as snakes or serpents and innocent as doves. When we hear that instruction, what is remembered in our mind? If you close your eyes now and say, what do you remember about that particular verse? For me, I think wolves. Wolves. Do you say wolves? Yes, be very careful, be very shrewd. And oh yes, you need to do that in order to survive. After all, we're talking about wolves and sheep together. I've only seen one wolf in my life. When we lived in Yellowknife, we were driving to Edmonton. And I was just leaving Yellowknife, driving along the road. And I just happened to look over, and there was a wolf standing on the side of the road. Why he was there, I don't know. But I drove past and looked at him, he looked at me, and he was huge and menacing. And I was scared in my car. I just thought, ah, I want to get going. I, he just scared me just looking at him. And I thought, oh, if I ever confronted a wolf, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I was terrified in the car driving past it, 60 kilometers, 100 kilometers an hour, whatever it was. Maybe it was 200 at that point. I don't know. <laughs> Innocence. What about innocent as doves? B, shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. What is innocence? Not tainted, not biased or unbelieving, but open and willing as children to see the picture and believe the evidence. Children are innocent. They're beautiful. They're innocent. You tell them something and say, really? You know? And I think, they believe you. They, they want to believe. And they want to trust you. They teach us if we're willing and if we're teachable. They teach us to be innocent as doves. And see the picture and believe the evidence. And how to allow the evidence of the grace of God to be seen, to see things as children see things. Yes, Jesus says it's important to find a balance between them. Be shrewd as snakes, but also be innocent as doves. Most of us can relate to being shrewd. We try to be shrewd. We try to be smart. We try to be clever. All those things are inherent to us. But how can we be more innocent as doves? How can we be better at seeing the evidence of the grace of God? We realize we must pray first. We realize we must be in the Word of God. And we, we, we realize we must be seeking counsel of others, other, other Christians that we trust who can give good advice. We realize that. But then, at some point, we must be willing, must be brave, we must be courageous enough to act on the evidence. It is one thing to think about it. Hmm, I pondered that for a second. Didn't do anything with it, but I thought about it for a bit. It doesn't do very much. 
But it's something quite else to trust, believe, enough to act. We sing a song called, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. What about including an optional stanza, Dare to be a Barnabas? Now, I know the song, Dare to be a Daniel, has got two syllables, and Barnabas has got three, which is going to create a problem. But I'm sure our worship team can figure out something on that. Dare to be a Barnabas. The son of encouragement. Seeing the evidence of the grace of God in unlikely places. And that's what God is calling us to see. To be willing to open our eyes to see. So in closing, what have we learned from Barnabas' life? On a positive note, he embraced the marginalized. He embraced those who were the unlikely candidates. The impossible at times. Those who others would have rejected with passion. But Barnabas gave him an opportunity to be heard and accepted. Saul, Paul, the Gentiles, and probably a host of others. Before Barnabas came to the apostles and sold the field, he already had a reputation as an encourager. The apostles gave him that, that tag. You are the son of encouragement. And so there is something about his life. I'm sure that there was scores of people could stand up and say, Barnabas encouraged me on this day. Barnabas spoke up for me. Barnabas came alongside for me. Nobody else is around, but guess who came? Barnabas. But there's also a learning opportunity from Barnabas as well. Because there was a time when he withdrew with the other Jews and ignored the Gentiles when Peter came. So when Peter came from the Jerusalem church and he was there with the, Jew, with, with the Gentiles, he felt pressure from the Jewish Christians that how come they, they, they weren't observing the law the way that others were. And so we learn from Barnabas' life that he made mistakes. And the Bible includes these things to show us of how human and prone to sin we all are despite these great characteristics we have. You know, you could almost put Barnabas on a, on a, on a, a pedestal. But as soon as you do, it starts to crumble because we realize, oh, you know, he's just like us. He makes mistakes. And God gently corrects him and brings him back into alignment again. By love, by compassion, and by mercy, God addresses those issues. What scriptures did Barnabas live by? This is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was Barnabas. He loved his neighbor as himself. He looked, he searched, he found people, the unlikely people. And those are the people that he included as his neighbor. We have neighbors. Who are our neighbors? Our neighbors on the street. Our neighbors in the market. Our neighbors anywhere. Our neighborhood now has become global. Anywhere in the world we can find our neighbors. And the second verse is this, in Philippians 2, verse 4. 
Each of you should not look on her own interests, but also the interests of others. Barnabas found a way to discover the interests of other people, and that was his focus. That he didn't focus on himself. Somehow, he found the interests of other people more important than his own. What a wonderful thing. Barnabas was thought to have been martyred. Although the date, the place, and the circumstance of his death are historically unverifiable, Christian tradition holds that Barnabas was martyred in Cyprus in A.D. 61. A.D. 61. Here we are, 2012, and talking about this character. He left for us a legacy. He left for us an incredible example that we can glean from. And we can use the principles of his life in order for us to draw closer to Christ. I want to include this verse as Wally read it earlier. It's a closing takeaway verse. It's one of my favorites from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us... Not let me or let you, but let us. We're a collective. We're a body. The body of Christ. Together, functioning together. As interdependent parts that requires the presence of the other parts in order to be functional. If your arms are gone, then you can't do certain things. If your legs are gone, even if your spleen is not there, or little little parts that we think are insignificant in the whole makeup of the body are so important that it functions in a dysfunctional way if it's not there. So let us, let the body consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us see how we can spur others on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because it's important. It's important for us to be together to encourage each other to show love, respect and not just say, well, how are you doing? Oh, you're having a challenge. How can I help you? What can I do? How can I encourage you? These are the things that Barnabas taught us. He was a person who put encouragement into action. And not simply a notion that flipped through his mind, but something he said, I should, and he did it. But let us encourage one another even the more as you say the day approaching. The day is approaching. Someday we will stand before the Lord. And the Lord will say, you know, you've, you've lived your life in a testimony and in, in, in the example of Barnabas, the encourager, the son of encouragement, the son of comfort. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Wally to come back up and we have one last song. Father in heaven, we do, we do praise you, Lord, for the scriptures and how you, you give us insight into how we can live a life closer to you. And so 
we pray you would draw us as a result of of, of the, the example that Barnabas has left us. Draw us closer to you. Help us to take the things that were the desirable characteristics of his life and help us to emulate those things that, so they become part of our nature, Lord. All for the glory and all for the praise of Jesus Christ. Amen.